the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Each week, Joan brings you news from inside the Vatican and the church around the world, as well as interviews and answers to your questions. Now, here's the host of Vatican Insider, Joan Lewis. Welcome to Vatican Insider on this February weekend, just before the start of Lent. Ash Wednesday this year, as you know, coincides with St. Valentine's Day. So I guess the candy and flowers and celebratory dinners that usually mark February 14 will have to take place on Mardi Gras. And of course, that's Fat Tuesday, the day before Lent. It actually sounds like Tuesday makes more sense. I'll get to news highlights in a moment, but first a word about my special guests in the interview segment. Two remarkable young men, seminarians at the Pontifical North American College in Rome. Nicholas Manon and Patrick Ernst of the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend. We met during the October 2023 Synod on Synodality when I invited Bishop Kevin Rhodes of Fort Wayne, Patrick and Nicholas, and two Fort Wayne priests studying at NAC, Zane Langenbrunner and Samuel Anderson, for dinner. You will be enthralled by their vocation stories and have a very positive feeling about the future of the Church. Now to the news highlights of the week. Sunday, February 4th. After reflections on the day's gospel and the recitation of the Angelus, Pope Francis invited believers to pray for peace, for peace which the world yearns for so much and which today more than ever is endangered in so many places. It's not the responsibility of a few, but of the entire human family. Let us all cooperate to build it with gestures of compassion and courage. Let us continue to pray for the people suffering from war, especially in Ukraine, Palestine, and Israel. He also turned his attention to the millions of families in East Asia and different parts of the world who will be celebrating the Lunar New Year on February 10th, expressing the hope that this feast may be an occasion to experience relationships of affection and gestures of care, which contribute to creating a society of solidarity and fraternity where each person is recognized and welcomed in his or her inalienable dignity. Also Sunday, Pope Francis addressed a message to participants in the Fourth Congress of the University Research Platform on Islam in Europe and Lebanon. This was taking place in Abu Dhabi, United Arab Emirates, on the theme Islam and Human Fraternity, the impact and prospects of the Abu Dhabi Declaration on Coexistence. Monday, February 5th, the Vatican announced a video message from Pope Francis to attendees at the 2024 ceremony of the Zayed Award for Human Fraternity in Abu Dhabi, in which he encouraged everyone to promote a culture of peace and dialogue. This marks the fifth anniversary of the Document for World Peace and Living Together, which he signed in 2019 with Sheikh Ahmed Al-Tayeb, the Grand Imam of Al-Aqsar. Monday, February 5th, and Tuesday, February 6th, and the afternoon of Wednesday, February 7th, the Holy Father met with the C9 Council of Cardinals. Also Monday, Pope Francis, in a telegram, expressed his condolences upon the death of Antonio Paolucci, the former director of the Vatican Museums and a leading art historian. One of the most renowned figures in art, both in Italy and abroad, he died Sunday at the age of 84. The Holy Father remembered Paolucci as an esteemed connoisseur of art 
who gave generous and competent service to the Holy See. Wednesday morning, February 7th. At the general audience, Pope Francis continued his catechesis on virtues and their opposing vices, telling the faithful, we now center our attention on spiritual sadness or sorrow. St. Paul speaks of a godly grief and a worldly grief. The former prompts conversion, enabling us to cling to hope, and therefore leads to joy. The latter stems from dashed hopes and disappointments, eroding the soul with discouragement and sadness. Unlike most vices that seek fleeting pleasure, said the Pope, sadness indulges itself by wallowing in sorrow, hindering spiritual growth. As an antidote to this kind of despondency, the Desert Fathers recommended embracing Christ's resurrection. For the risen Jesus redeems all the happiness that has remained unfulfilled in our lives. May faith cast out fear, and Christ's resurrection remove sadness like the stone before his tomb. Also Wednesday, a press office statement said Pope Francis and the C9 Cardinal Advisors adjourned their February session, which was dedicated to the role of women in the Church, synodality, and evangelization. They will meet again in April. Also Wednesday, in a telephone call to Cardinal Pier Battista Pizzaballa, the Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem, Pope Francis expressed his continued concern for the Holy Family Catholic Parish in Gaza and the hundreds of Christians sheltering there. He thanked the Patriarch for the closeness he has shown to the people since the beginning of the war between Hamas and Israel. Thursday, February 8th. Pope Francis, in his address to participants in the International Conference for the Ongoing Formation of Priests, sponsored by the Dicastery for Clergy, praised holy priests who faithfully served their flocks. He expressed his gratitude for all that priests do to serve their dioceses and countries, and he stressed the importance of being merciful, especially in the Sacrament of Reconciliation. Francis encouraged them to always show Jesus' immense love and the Blessed Mother's tenderness when hearing confessions. Also Thursday, Pope Francis met with members of the Dicastery for Divine Worship and the Discipline of the Sacraments as they hold their plenary session. He reminded them that the Church cannot be reformed without a reform of the liturgy, which must be for all the people of God. He said that even 60 years after the promulgation of the Vatican Council II document on liturgy, Sacrosanctum Concilium, it is still highly relevant. This is therefore a profound work of spiritual, pastoral, ecumenical, and missionary renewal, said the Pope, adding that the Council Fathers were aware that without a liturgical reform, there is no reform of the Church. Also February 8th, Pope Francis' message for the 10th World Day of Prayer and Awareness Against Human Trafficking was released. He urged society at all levels to combat the scourge of trafficking and to feel moved by the testimonies of victims, as well as those whose voices remain unheard. I associate myself wholeheartedly with all of you around the world, especially the young, who are working to combat this global scourge. The Catholic Church's annual observance was first introduced by Pope Francis in 2015, when he invited the International Union of Superiors General of Women Religious and the Union of Superiors General of Men Religious to mark the day on February 8th, and this is the liturgical memory of St. Josephine Bakita. 
Friday, February 9th. Pope Francis welcomed pilgrims from his native Argentina who are in Rome for the canonization Sunday of Blessed Maria Antonia of St. Joseph de Paz y Figueroa, known as Mama Antula, founder of the House for Spiritual Exercises of Buenos Aires. He praised her holiness, faith, and perseverance. She becomes Argentina's first female saint. Let us remember that the path of holiness implies trust and abandonment, said Francis. For when Blessed Maria Antonia arrived in Buenos Aires, she did so with only a crucifix and barefoot, because she had not placed her security in herself, but in God, trusting that her arduous apostolate was his work. Well, those are the week's news highlights in the Vatican, but now stay tuned for my conversation with two American seminarians who tell us of the joy of their call to the priesthood. is honored as the newest Doctor of the Church with the title Doctor of Unity. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. A second-century bishop, theologian, and martyr, St. Irenaeus of Lyon was a fierce defender of the faith against the heresy of Gnosticism. He reminded Catholics of every century that heresy cloaks itself in appealing guise, but that the antidote is a sound teaching handed down by the apostles. To find out more, visit EWTN.com and click on Catholicism. Carry the faith wherever you go. Catch up with the latest news from Washington, D.C., the Vatican, and the world on all of our EWTN news platforms, including EWTN News Nightly, the National Catholic Register, and the world over. Download the EWTN app at EWTNapps.com today. We need to pray... Because God says to pray. We don't need to pray to change God's mind. We pray because that is our big connection to the Almighty. Do we need it? Like we need air? Like we need water? Yep. Because if, in fact, God is the ultimate reality, more reality than air and water, then we do need to pray as much as we need to breathe. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. Here's Joan Lewis. My special guests this week on Vatican Insider are two seminarians of the Pontifical North American College in Rome, Nicholas Manin and Patrick Ernst of the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend. Now, we met during the October 2023 Synod on Synodality when I invited Bishop Kevin Rhodes of Fort Wayne, Patrick and Nicholas, and two Fort Wayne priests studying at NAC, Zane Langenbrunner and Samuel Anderson for dinner. Now, every so often on Vatican Insider, my listeners know, I feature stories on vocations, but I haven't done it in a while. And it's time to do that, especially after I learned of these wonderful stories um, last October over dinner. First of all, welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. There's many exciting events on the Jubilee 2025 calendar, exciting events for priests and dioceses. And as we speak, there's a five-day meeting of a 1,000 priests from 60 countries here in Rome. It's about the ongoing formation of priests, and it involves prayer, presentations, small listening groups, um, etc. The theme is, Rekindle the Gift of God that is Within You, 
obviously within the two of you. Now, your seminarians, but of course, even after ordination, there will be um, ongoing formation. Now, I'm here today to talk to both of you about your path to the calling, to the vocation of priesthood. And it will be interesting to hear the similarities and perhaps even um, some differences on that path. So, um, now on that note, Patrick, tell us a bit about yourself, your family, your parish, your interests, hobbies. I grew up in um, on the south side of South Bend in Indiana. Okay, um, go Irish. Yeah. <laughs> I come from a family uh, of six people total, three siblings, I'm the youngest. And um, I grew up going to St. Matthew's Cathedral uh, on the south side. I went to Marion High School. And then after that, I went to Franciscan University uh, in Steubenville. Oh, good. And um, had a wonderful time there. And now my family and I currently go to St. Pius uh, the 10th Church in Granger, which is a city just north um, of South Bend. Oh, I don't know that city. Yeah. I haven't been to South Bend, for, especially for a football game in a while. But um, <laughs> a couple years ago, I think 2019 was my last trip to the area. You know, and Nicholas, the same basic information from you. Sure. So I also grew up in South Bend. My my home parish, in fact, is the same St. Matthew's Cathedral on the south side. Although my my family lives on the on the north side of the city, um, and I'm the youngest of three siblings. And I went to St. Joseph High School in South Bend, so the other kind of rival Catholic high school in in South uh-huh. Bend. Yeah, and then after high school, I entered the college seminary right right after graduation, and so I spent oh. four years at Bishop Simon Brute College Seminary. In Indianapolis. Oh. So I took philosophy classes at Marion University, and then I received formation um, at the college seminary. Oh, well, that's fascinating. I, if you had said that over dinner, I did not recall it. I'd love to know from each of you when, it sounds like you've just answered it, so when you first heard the call, but even how, who was important um, in your life if it's God who calls you to the priesthood. Tell me about your calling. I would say mine began in high school. But I wasn't ready at the time. The vocations director at the time, for me, recommended that I go to college, and uh, and that was a very good decision. I needed that time just to mature and to uh, and to grow into the man that I am now. Um, I was first invited to go to a group in high school called the Melchizedek Project, a group that gets together every week and discusses Father Brett Brandon's book, uh, "To Save a Thousand Souls," with discussion questions and everything like that. I thought I had a better use of my <laughs> of my time, <laughs> of course, during that group, of course. But the Lord planted that book in my life for, for a very special reason. And um, I went off to college, and that book found its way back to me. I somehow, you know, stuffed it in my bag. It came back to me one night after um, playing pool, because that was the fun thing to do <laughs> uh, in college. And um, I started flipping through it, and the things that a priest does just, like, lit this fire in my heart. Um, and it was so it was so enriching. I, I could see myself um, in my mind's eye, hearing confessions, um, saying Mass, immersing myself in, in studies here and there. And so I just really wanted to to do the things that a priest does. And so I, I had no idea what that looks like. Um, and I think that's why I said I needed that time in college for, for that thought to sure. develop and for that. To discern. Yeah, and to discern and to talk to other people as well. And so, and, and people kept coming back to me and saying, you should be a priest, you should be a priest. And I was like, well, okay. And I started to pray about it and take their take their um, opinions and their thoughts to heart. And it really, um, I think, solidified into, into at least a good calling to seminary. And so um, I took them up on it and um, discerned right after college to enter uh, pre-theology. So I did my pre-theology at uh, Mount St. Mary's in sure. Emmitsburg, Maryland, right. um, and then asked, uh, was asked to come, uh, to come to the North American College. And uh, now I'm in my second year of formation here, so I'm really um, enjoying it here so far. 
Well, you know, I'm definitely hearing the Lord's call in that. And I think um, he called you through your guardian angel. I don't know about your relationship with with your guardian angels, each of you, but I've given mine a name long before I heard uh, of EWTN. I named my angel um, Angelica, my guardian angel. But there have been so many times in my life when I know I have done something or not done something, met someone, had a book given to me that um, was just something that, my guardian angel knew I needed and, and knew I wanted, you know, but what a great, great story. And then I want to amplify further with each of you about getting to Rome, to the seminary in Rome. Okay, and your call and who was responsible in your life and important? Yeah, so I, I, I use the word organic to talk about my vocation story because a lot of my story comes from growing up in the parish and having a really good pastor in my parish. Uh, who was just you showed me the joy of the priesthood and a life lived for Christ, and so as a kid that was just implanted in me that seed of, of a man who was joyful living, the priesthood vocation. Nicholas, joy is important for all of us. That's true. It's important for any vocation, and it can be a vocation of medicine. Joy is going to make others look at you. Doesn't the Bible say we're supposed to tell people the, the, the reason for our joy? That's right. So yeah. that is beautiful. Yeah, so joy really, I mean, can be a, an instrument for evangelization, for sharing your life with Christ, because uh, what people pick up on is that your joy comes from, from, from somewhere, some great well that, that they want to share, and they want to yeah. experience that too. So I, I experienced that in my life. My pastor was so joyful living his priestly vocation that even from the beginning, although I wouldn't have recognized it or been able to articulate it, certainly planted that seed for me. And then in high school, I had a, a powerful experience at one of our discernment retreats. We had a group of young men get together in Fort Wayne at St. Vincent de Paul Parish. And before the Blessed Sacrament, similar, Patrick, actually to what you said, I imagined myself doing what a priest does. I, 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 I brought up that image and allowed the Lord to, to work in that space. And the Lord just put on my heart this great peace, this great um, a desire to do his will. And he just, he revealed he revealed my life to me. I, in, in a real way, um, I, what I asked the Lord in that moment was, "Lord, is this the is this a thing that I was made for?" Because I think that's really the that's really the question. Sure. Like a vocation is a call that the Lord has put on your heart for you to get to heaven. Like yeah. It's the reason for your life, um, and the Lord showed that to me in some in some way in in that in that moment of Eucharistic adoration, and then my life after that was a series of of yeses. Aww. So I talked to the vocation director and. He said, okay, well, why don't you be a high schooler for a little bit and just continue to, to live your, your life and live out high school? And then after high school, I applied first to the seminary because that's where I thought the Lord was calling me. And I just kept saying yes. And after four years in the college seminary, Bishop Rose asked me to come study in Rome. Wow. And I said yes. You know, so, and that's really the path of discipleship. In any sure. case, he's saying yes to the Lord as he opens doors to you. Now, now Patrick, family. What is the role of family? in this, your parents, siblings, other relatives, in a vocation. I was thinking about that um, just the other day, because my family's coming in here to Rome pretty, see, uh, pretty soon. Um, they say it takes a village to raise a child. I would say it's true with the parish priest. I think it takes a village to raise, um, to raise someone in the seminary, just in the parish life and helping them come to, mature, uh, coming to a mature discernment in his vocation. There comes a point in one's in a man's vocation where he does a discernment up to a certain point, but then it becomes the church's part to discern whether that man is is ready or not, um, and that comes through the work of formators, through spiritual directors. But 
for my own family in particular, they have, have been on board with me every step of the way, which has been just very affirming and, and, and helpful in my in my own discernment. Of course. Um, you have yeah. to know you have that backing. I think it's important that no matter what uh, field of work, uh, in this case a calling, one chooses just to know mom and dad, brothers and sisters, neighbors, aunts and uncle, that they're behind you. That has to give you so much courage, to mm-hmm. courage to continue, but joy. I think also. so, yeah. And, and there, are, there are some, I, I think with many careers and such, there are some uncertainties as to like how it may work out and where, where you may end up, but well, as sure. long as you have your, your, your family behind you, I, I think you're, you're set. Well, because also in the church, there's obedience so that once you're ordained, you go back to your diocese, your bishop decides where you're going to be, maybe as an assistant pastor, maybe even as a chaplain. But in another life, the life of a doctor, lawyer, somebody else, people look at a corporate ladder they can travel up. So if you start at the lowest level, you know that if you work hard and love what you're doing, the next level's this, etc., etc. But with you all, it's a, a lot of, of obedience. So... And the same thing, Nicholas, your family. Yeah, my family has always been supportive of my vocation. I remember the first time I, I came home after I had a meeting with the vocation director, and I was just applying to the seminary, and uh, my parents were cooking dinner, and, and they're like, well, yeah, what was your meeting about? I hadn't, I hadn't quite talked to them about how I was uh, thinking about applying to the seminary. And when I had told them that I was, I was really thinking seriously about applying, my parents were ecstatic. They really said, you know, it's... Like if you if you feel called to this, like we're we're behind you. We're like we're with you. We we support you all wow. all the way. And really, that's the that's really what you need. I think. Sure. Yeah. I, I love meeting the parents when there's the weekend of the diaconate ordination mm-hmm. here. You know, at the basilica, I just love meeting the parents because I already know they're going to be stupendous people. I've known their son. You know, not that I know everyone by name, obviously in your class, but still, I just know they're going to be great people. And the fact that obviously they're here in Rome for that moment is very, very special. Now, Nicholas, you kind of told us a minute ago about your path here uh, to Rome, and it was the bishop who, who sent you. And, and um, what was your path here to Rome, I mean, to getting to the North American? Um, for me, I, I was asked to consider coming here about around a year before my time finished at pre-theology at Mount St. Mary's. And really, at the end of the day, I couldn't find a reason to say... Uh, no to coming over here. And so everything seemed to line up. I, again, I had my family's support as well. My diocese was on board with it. It, it seemed like a very simple decision for me. I, I really couldn't find a reason sure. to say no, as I, as I said. Anybody who has followed my blog and all my reports on church activities and uh, the gazillions of pictures I've posted about life in Rome, etc., they know what a stupendous, beautiful city this is. It's stupendous for many reasons. You have ancient history, you have art, and music and looking at the ancient civilizations in the Catholic Church 2,000 years of that, so it's exciting. But what does it mean for each of you as a seminarian to be in Rome as opposed to being in uh, another seminary in America or having continued your studies? Mm-hmm. Nicholas? I think I would highlight first the, the walk we have to classes every day. So yeah. we, we don't study at, at our, where we live. We Corso walk, Vittorio Emanuele, I'm guessing, is a big part exactly, of it. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So we walk into the city, to the university, and we walk by all these churches that have all these saints in them. So suddenly, we're celebrating a, a saint's feast day, and we could stop in not that far off of our, our path and stop in and see them 
and to spend some time with them and ask for their intercession. And uh, so I think just the the history of the church comes alive, John, just like you were saying. Like we're walking the same streets that these saints yeah. walked. So in a real way, the history comes alive for us. And then, yeah, the the church calendar comes alive as we're celebrating these saints that maybe we've never encountered in a real way, but somehow we're able to really, you know, really have a get to know them, really Absolutely. get to live, live in the same city as them. Well, next week, the 14th, Valentine's Day, also the first uh, Ash Wednesday, first day of Lent, um, you can go and find the head of St. Valentine's that's right. in an extraordinary church in Rome. So so that's amazing. And then, oh my gosh, tell us, tell our listeners about the Station Churches, speaking of saints. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Sure. So the Station Churches is a tradition, it's a very old tradition in the church, but the at the North American College, the seminarians revived this in the if I'm not mistaken, in the 70s, I mean, 60s or 70s, they yeah. revived it. And so every day during Lent, we celebrate church, we celebrate Mass at a different church in the city. And a group will walk every morning in the dark streets of Rome oh, yeah. to the different churches every day. And so we start on Ash Wednesday at Santa Sabina, the same church that the Holy Father celebrates his Ash yeah. Wednesday Mass. And the whole community will gather. And then every day during Lent, we will walk in the dark streets of Rome every morning to a different Place and we'll go as far out as St. Paul outside the walls, which is an hour's walk. Oh, at least! And, and so you get there, you get there at sunrise, and, and it's just beautiful. Just the it's a really beautiful way to enter into Lent, and and to see a lot of beautiful churches that you otherwise might not have the opportunity to. Well, Lent is prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, and maybe they should add something about uh, self-discipline <laughs> to get up at those hours of the morning to get down to some of the other churches. So do you remember some of your favorite churches from last year you're looking forward to going to again? I think I I, I liked the most a church called San Pietro in Vincoli, St. Peter in oh, Chains. Yes. That that was simply one of my With favorite. With the Moses. Yeah, oh my yeah, that said, yeah. That, Sculpted that by Michelangelo. Exactly, yeah. yeah. That that was just one of my favorite. And as, and as Nicholas was saying, just like the walk every morning, um, everyone, most everyone prays the rosary along the way. Oh, lovely. Um, it can just be a very wonderful time uh, growing alongside your brothers in formation. I've just done a couple of the churches. I've never done the entire six weeks. I don't have that discipline, I guess. Each time I did it, it was so memorable because you also see ambassadors. You see teachers from schools. You see people who simply love this tradition, faithful Catholics. So it's, it's a very, very meaningful well, that's all the time I have this week with Patrick Ernst and Nicholas Monnen, seminarians at the Pontifical North American College from the Diocese of Fort Wayne, South Bend, as they tell us the beautiful stories of their vocation to the priesthood. But come back next weekend when they'll tell us of the highlights of their time in Rome, their expectations for the priesthood, and much more. For more information on these stories or to check out Joan's blog and to ask her a question, go to EWTN.com. That's EWTN.com. Thanks for listening to Vatican Insider on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.